Mark chapter 10 from verse 46 to 52. Blind Bartimaeus receives his sight. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. They called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Many years ago, I was introduced to a book called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. I think it was by an author called Robert Carlson. And it speaks about that sometimes when we sweat the small stuff, when we focus on the small stuff, it takes us away from the big picture. We lose perspective because we're concentrating and spending energy on little things that really don't matter. And I always thought it was a good book until I really started getting into the message of Jesus, reading the Gospels, understanding his mission. And I started to realize that a lot of God's big stuff is surrounded by God's little stuff. And that if we miss out on the little stuff, we actually miss out on so much of life. I remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount speaking to his disciples. And especially when he addresses the issue of worry, he speaks to his disciples and says, look at the lilies of the field. They do not spin, they do not toil, they do not stress, and look how beautifully they are dressed. And then look at the, the birds of the air. Even though they are little and they have little value, God still looks after them. And so you who are so much more valuable than lilies and, and birds, how much more does God love you? And how much less should you be stressing? And I thought, how amazing that this Messiah, that this God of all, would spend so much time looking at the little stuff and gleaning lessons from God through that. I just thought he has that incredible awareness and engagement into the world that he could live in the here and now. That he wasn't living too far ahead, he wasn't living in the past, he was living in that exact moment. And, and yet he was able to see things on the periphery. I often think about that story of Zacchaeus when he was walking with this huge crowd of people and yet he's able to spot this little man standing in a tree and he doesn't think about the next destination but he embraces this little man who's sitting in a tree and he says you know what I'm going to spend time speaking to you I notice you I can see you the little thing that is on the outskirts and I want to go and sit with you and eat with you. He was also incredible when he was walking with another crowd where he walks and, and he feels something. Now, I'm sure that there were thousands of people and the disciples even say, Lord, there are so many people. How do you know which one touched you? Let's, let's move on. 
But yet, Jesus was able to know exactly that there was someone that needed his attention. And so as he turns around and he asks the question, who touched me? Here appears a woman with a bleeding disease. And he is able to engage with her and talk to her. And it says that she told him her whole story. Jesus makes the time for the small things. And I so often am aware that I I often live so far in the future that I'm thinking about my goals, my dreams, my vision, uh, where I want to get to, my destination in life and physically a destination. I also sometimes live in the past thinking about the good old days and what, what I did before and holding on to the hurts of the past that I sometimes forget about living in the now, engaged in what I need to do, aware of all the little things that really matter. When I was writing a sermon the other day, I was thinking about how I was going to end it, how the theme would go, how the the progression would have to move, and I was really, really concentrating on that. And as I'm sitting on, on the step outside of one of our doors, I was having an ice cream, and I looked to my left-hand side, and I saw my son. Now, if anyone knows my son, he is like a butterfly. You cannot get him to sit still. And yet here he was, sitting and eating an ice cream next to me. And then his sister, who's only two and a bit, she's sitting next to him, eating an ice cream. And then on the edge is Tracy, the woman who I married. And here she is, eating an ice cream. And I, and I realized that I was living in a different world. But right here next to me were the things that really matter, the small things. The things that didn't cost me anything. The things that I didn't uh, strive for, gain for, but yet here they were. My whole family sitting outside in a warm evening having ice creams. That's what life is about. Now it's so easy to miss it. So easy to be thinking about other things that we miss out on the joy and the love and those things that actually have meaning. And so I need to take a leaf out of Jesus' book and be able to really think about the small things. Because so often the small things are the big things. Now Mark is also a fantastic writer in the Gospels. And he uses little things that we so often overlook in order to address the big things that Jesus is trying to accomplish. In Mark chapter 8, from verse 22 to 26, he deals with the story of healing the blind. And then in Mark chapter 10, from verse 46 to verse 52, the the reading that we've just had, we hear about this healing that happens just outside of Jericho. Now, these are physical healings of people who are blind. But the scary thing is that There's a wonderful way that Mark uses these two physical healings of blind people because in the middle of it is a whole bunch of stories of spiritually blind people. Spiritually blind people that stay spiritually blind. You know, the one part straight after the healing in Mark chapter 8 is when Peter recognizes Jesus for who he is. But then he also says, Lord, don't talk about your death. Don't talk about you going to to die. 
Because, you know, we've still got a mission to do. We've still got to keep the people's spirits up. And Jesus turns around and says, get behind me, Satan. He rebukes him. And the reason that he rebukes him is because Peter can't see what the Messiah really needs to do. Then we hear about Peter, James and John and and the transfiguration and how they want to stay on the mountain just to bask in the glory of Jesus. But they forget that the whole reason of the transfiguration was to show how we must bring the light of God into the world. We also see that uh, when Jesus heals the boy with the unclean spirit, that they don't see the importance of prayer. We also see that when the disciples squabble about who is going to be the greatest, that they don't understand what the greatest truly is, and that you need to serve, not to be served. So there's a whole bunch of spiritual blindness that is totally there and needs to be dealt with that the disciples and those who are following him can't see so often we phys- we deal with the physical issues but we don't deal with the spiritual issues and that's what mark tries to show is that even though jesus heals the the physically blind he can also heal the spiritually blind and so let's talk about this healing Jesus heals a man outside of Jericho. Now, Jericho is this incredible city. It's the oldest city in the world. It's the city where the Israelites entered the promised land. It's the city of Joshua, the city of Rahab. And it is the city that has a huge amount of Roman presence. Um, Someone was telling me the other day that uh, Mark Anthony gave the city of Jericho to Cleopatra as his gift. And so there's a huge Roman and political uh, influence in the city of Jericho. It also has uh, a huge amount of Israeli um, and Israelite history built up in it. And yet Jesus has the perfect stage to come into Jericho and to spread his, his story and to spread his message have a political grandstand, but yet he doesn't choose to do that. In fact, the only thing we know is that Jesus comes into Jericho and Jesus leaves Jericho. Now, if if Jesus was to you know take up this opportunity, we should surely would hear a whole bunch about it. But this big city, this major city, this this city that has significance, fades into the background as compared to the healing. The healing is important. So we hear the story of Jericho, that Jesus comes into Jericho, and then Jesus just leaves Jericho, and that's the end of the story. But what Jesus does is that he then finds someone who is seen as insignificant, and he turns him into a significant part of the story. So let's talk about this man, Bartimaeus. That's his name, Bartimaeus. And so if anyone is insignificant or marginalized or on the outskirts or the underdog, it's got to be this guy. Because firstly, he is blind. And we know very well that in those days, if you were blind, it was seen as you deserve to be blind because of the sins, your sins or the sins of your, of your family. And then we see that he is a beggar. This man doesn't contribute. He adds no value. He has to stand with his hands out and and hoping that someone will bless him. And so he's a a drain on the resources. And then the third one is that his name is Bartimaeus. Uh, 
Bartimaeus really just means that he is the son of the defiled or the son of the unclean. Now, can you imagine having that in your life? Having all three of those as a, as a triple strike on making you insignificant, to making you small, to making you an underdog, to making you not worth anything. And yet Jesus walks through this significant city and he deals with someone who is small, someone who is insignificant, someone who is marginalized, someone who is on the outskirts. And that's the Jesus that I know. He is drawn to that. He is drawn to the outcast. He is drawn to the margins. He is drawn to the small, small things because he truly believes that the small things is where life happens, where love happens, where joy happens. And I got to understand that there's got to be something to that. And so here he, he heals Bartimaeus. One thing that Bartimaeus does is he runs up to, to Jesus. He hears that Jesus of Nazareth is coming through, and he must have heard the story of who this Jesus is. And so he shouts, Son of David. Son of David. Again, a blind man physically, but not a blind man spiritually. He can see who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of David. He is the one who is coming to reign and to restore and he runs up to him and he shouts, Son of David. And now the disciples, because they understand the significance of Jericho and how it's under the Roman rule and how politically significant it is, he sort of says, well, you know, Jesus walked through this city without making much of a fuss. Now here's this blind man and he's now coming to stir. He's coming to stir trouble. And if you shout, Son of David, the Romans are going to be listening. And so they say, hush. But Jesus, as he is, he says, come to me. What do you want? What do you want? Here's a blind man, a beggar, a man known as Bartimaeus, son of the unclean, son of the defiled. Obviously, Jesus should know what this man wants. He wants healing, doesn't he? And Jesus should know, just by looking at the situation, what he needs to do. But that's, again, not the Jesus that we serve. What Jesus wants us to do is to say, this is my spiritual blindness. This is my point of need. This is where I need healing. This is where I need wholeness. This is where my sinful areas, my empty areas are. And Jesus asked us that question. He said, what do you want me to do for you? Because Jesus knows our hearts. He knows our story. But he wants us to come to a point where we acknowledge our darkness when we acknowledge our sinfulness, when we acknowledge our blindness and we come to him and we say, Lord, we need healing. We need light in the darkness. We need transformation in our lives. We need to be people more in line with what you have come for. We want to be more like you. There are so many things that are holding us to bondage and Lord, we want to be freed. And so Jesus asks us, be specific. Because if you haven't wrestled with your darkness, if you haven't wrestled with that uncleanness inside of you, then you're not ready to change. You're not ready to be healed. And so Jesus was very, very aware of this man's need. And he's aware of our need, but he wants us to approach him with the specifics of our, of our needs, the specifics of the areas that we need transformation. 
And so if we want to be cured from spiritual blindness, we actually need to know what we're doing wrong. And that requires introspection, it requires us to look deep, it requires us to settle with those uncomfortable things. We need to get into the darkness and we need to acknowledge how far we have moved from the grace of God and how far we have moved from the righteousness. It is only then that Jesus will start the healing process. So where is the spiritual blindness in your life? Have you made time to search for it? Have you made time to wrestle with it? Are you aware of it? And if you are, then you come to Jesus and say, this is where I need healing. This is where I need your light. This is where I need to be healed. This is where I need to be free. You see, we need to, we need to be discontent. We need to be willing to change. And that's the thing about the blind man that maybe is not the same as us who, is, who perhaps are physically fine. But we have not reached that point of discontent that we want change, that we want to be different, that we want more of God, that we want to follow in his footsteps. So this blind man is no longer willing to remain on the side of the road. And so he goes to Jesus and he says, I don't want the situation that I am in in this point. I want you to act, Lord. I want to be different. I want to change. And that's, that's a big thing because we love our comfort. And even if it's comfort in a dark space, sometimes that's better than being uncomfortable in the presence of God. The other interesting thing that I see is that as he jumps up and runs after Jesus, he throws his coat to the side. Now, in those days, if you were a beggar, that's probably all you had. You didn't have any other clothes. And so here's this man running to Jesus naked to say, this is who I am. I have nothing to offer you in exchange for my healing. I can't give you anything of myself because I have nothing to give. But all I depend on is your grace. All I depend on is what I've heard about you. All I depend on is what your name means in my life. And I think so often in my life, I've bargained with God. Lord, if you help me in this situation, I'll follow you more closely. Lord, I'll serve you more if you help me to do this. Lord, I'm in a really bad space. And so you help me with my healing. And what I can give you in return is my gifts and my skills. And so often I realize that I'm bargaining with God. How can we bargain with God when he has given us everything that we have? It's all his anyway. And so what God requires from us is to say, Lord, I have nothing to give you. And I fall at your feet knowing your heart, knowing your character, knowing that you want healing for my life. And I'm prepared to change. I want to be uncomfortable. Because then I know that I am no longer in control of my own life. But Lord, I hand it over to you. And that tells us a lot about this man. Because if you think about it, we enjoy Jericho. We enjoy Jericho. But yet this man, the moment that he was healed, follows Jesus. No matter where it takes him. He doesn't know where Jesus is going, and yet he's prepared to follow him anyway. 
All he knew was Jericho. All he knew was his home. All he knew was blindness. But he's prepared. The moment that he experiences healing is to follow Jesus no matter where it takes him. He gives over control of his life to this man who gave him new life. Now for us, we're sometimes quite happy to be a road sitter. We're quite happy to stay in our Jerichos. And is that the life that God has called us to? Is that where we are supposed to be living? We need to, we need to have the strength and the courage to leave our Jericho. We need to be uncomfortable. And so where are you today? Have you chosen to stay in Jericho or are you prepared to follow Jesus no matter where it takes you? The abundance and fullness of life that Jesus offers us requires us to be uncomfortable, requires us to follow him, to, requires us to, to give over control. I love my control. But are we prepared to settle for a second-rate life instead of actually following him? So this little story in the Gospel of Mark opens up our lives to so much of God's transforming power. And so just a couple of things to think about after hearing this incredible story. The first one is where are our spiritual blind spots? Where do we need to have our sight restored? Where is it in your life? And it requires us to search. It requires us to be honest with ourselves. It requires us to ask very hard questions of ourselves. It also sometimes requires us to drop our ego and our pride and ask someone who knows us well where we need to change, what we need to do to become more like Jesus. Are you prepared to do that? The other thing is that so often we are living ahead of ourselves. We are thinking about the future and what the future has to hold. And either it's an exciting future that we can visualize in our own mind. Or it's, you know, a future of trepidation and, and not knowing. And so often we live in that space that we forget to live in the here and now. We forget to look at the simple things that are around us where Jesus is talking to us, where that still small voice of God is urging us. Sometimes we are so hung up by something that happened in our past that we cannot move into the here and now because we are constantly blaming what happened and, and that instance. And we're holding on to that and we're not allowing God to speak to us in the here and now. That we actually not, our eyes aren't open to those little things that God is wanting to make us aware of. So often we forget about the little things. An inconvenient interruption can often be transformative and life-changing. I was telling the congregation the other day about a time that I was living in Mullerton and I went down to the pick and pay, which is at center point. And there were a lot of people that were hanging out outside of the shop and they would ask you for money and they'd harass you quite a bit. And, and I was used to this and so I would often put my head down and, and walk and if I had a bit of spare change, I'd give it to them. Or, um, you know, the thing that I did the most was say, look, I'll get you a loaf of bread. Don't, don't hassle me, but I'll go get you a loaf of bread. 
Anyway, I was doing the same thing when this guy comes in front of me and, and his hands are full and I'm busy going, uh, I really don't want to deal with you. And I said, listen, bud, can, can I organize you a, a loaf of bread? And so he turned around and he said, look, I don't want a loaf of bread. And I thought, oh, you just want some money. And he actually starts to take his hands out and give something to me. I wasn't really sure about what was going on here. And so he said, sir, I've, I've got 62 rand and I need another 8 rand in order to get formula for my child. And so can I give you this money and the money you would have spent on the bread? Can you just add that in and then can you buy me a, a tin of formula? And I was a little bit shocked. I didn't really know anything about children. And, and when I walked into the shop, I really wasn't too sure where on earth I needed to go. Totally clueless. And as I'm busy walking to where I had hoped the formula would be, I'm busy going, how desperate must you be when all your last savings is going to feeding your child? How, how desperate, how absolutely intense must your, must your sadness be that you can't even afford to feed your child? And that you, again, you're in that position where you have to look after your children above your own needs. So as I'm busy looking there, I'm busy going, ah, it's 70 rand for, for a half a kilogram or half a uh, 500 mils of, of formula, but it's about 95 rand for a liter. So let me rather get the bigger one. And so I'm busy thinking, you know, this family is starving. Maybe, you know... What would Jesus do in this situation? Because Jesus, one thing is he doesn't just look after our needs, but he looks after our wants. He looks after those things that that are total luxuries in our lives. He blesses us with so much more than what we deserve. And so I thought, you know what? I would, if I was in their shoes, I would love something else to eat. So I got one of those rotisserie chickens. And I got that, and I thought, you know, if you have rotisserie chickens, are really nice to have uh, some rolls with that. And so I got him some rolls, and then thought, you know what? In order to make it a really nice meal, what about some milk? And and I got little bits and pieces, and then I took it to the counter, and I think eventually I paid about 180 rand. Um, and for me, it wasn't a huge amount. I mean, I was still quite young, so it did did knock my budget slightly. But you know, compared to what kind of pain and suffering that person was in it was very little and I walked out with these two grocery bags filled with things and and he looked at me and and I gave him both and I said look you know I'm probably never going to see you again and I know that you're in a really bad place and so what I can give you is this for now and I remember him falling on his knees and crying as he saw everything that was in those bags and I remember me falling on my knees because I couldn't believe how much it had changed me. That little inconvenient interruption changed into a transformative and life-changing moment for me, not just for him. I pray that it did, but it changed me. And then I started to see people with new eyes. Suddenly, my sight was restored. Maybe there's been inconvenient interruptions in your life where we've just walked past. I know I've done it many, many times where we've overlooked the small things, where we didn't look to our left and our right, but we only looked ahead. Maybe we should become more like Jesus and turn inconvenient interruptions that we can turn our pit stops into something that is life-giving, life-changing, life-altering. 
The other thing that I want to ask is, are you stuck in your Jericho? Are you stuck in the safety and security of the things you know, of the people you know, of the places you know, of the job you know? You know, so often we say, yeah, Jericho is bad. Our, our, the place that we are is bad. It's, it's, it's not a good space. But it's all we know. And is that, is that enough? Is that what God wants for us? Maybe it's time that you follow Jesus, no matter where it goes. If God has healed you, if he has given you new life, if he has set you free, if he wants the best for you, if he wants abundance and fullness for your life, maybe today is the day to decide to move from Jericho and follow Jesus, no matter where he goes. Yes, we will go through Jerusalem. We'll go through hard times. But the thing that God wants for us is his plan. The kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And if we are part of that, something that lasts forever, something that could never be broken, isn't that what life is about? The small things are the big things. Never forget that. May God be with you. May he challenge you. And may the story of Bartimaeus open your eyes. Amen.